Good evening. Good to see you back in the house of the Lord tonight. Would you open your Bibles up tonight with me to the book of 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel, if you would open there to chapter number 2. Well, it's only been a few months uh, since we started on the book of Samuel. We've been busy with the holidays and with the revival meeting and um, with uh, just different things. But uh, we want to get back into this book. It's a tremendous book. Samuel is probably one of the most famous men in the Old Testament. One certainly to be, um, can I say, be a hero in your life. He's just such a godly man. First Samuel, what I need you to remember about uh, what we've already looked at in chapter 1 and part of chapter number 2 is we're covering here probably about 300 years of history from the time that Joshua has died, and now Israel has gone into uh, different judges. And um, this history, can you can imagine now, we're looking at how quickly just a hundred of years can pass when you read through a book in the Bible. So you have to imagine now, we're covering more history than older than the United States has been a country. And you think about all of the presidents uh, that we have had, uh, over those years and how much power that they had and things of that nature. But Israel was a a theocracy uh, and there was no king uh, and uh, a judge really was a guy who delivered them in battle and made good judgments when there was conflict between families and things of that nature. So there was no, what you might say, a centralized government. And that's why it says in the book of Ruth and in the book of Judges, Judges that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so as you get here into 1 Samuel, you're going to see one of the most major transitions take place that in the history of the nation of Israel because they're about to go from a theocracy uh, to a monarchy. They're going to go from judges and prophets uh, to a visible human king. And so that's a big step uh, for this nation. And so when you go into 1 Samuel... You'll find, however, that God does not start uh, uh, with the rich and famous. He starts in the household of just a believer who loves the Lord, who loves his wife and his family, and goes to the house of the Lord to worship. Now, they had a particular area where they would go to worship called Shiloh. And so no matter wherever you went, God chose the place that they were to worship. It wasn't one of those Places like attitudes that we have today, you know, where we can just, wherever we are, wherever we want to be, it doesn't matter. But they always came to Shiloh to worship the Lord. They'd bring their sacrifice and, and their offerings. And that's where the, the high priest would be uh, to take care of these things. That's where the Levites would be. They would take care of the religious things and, and order uh, for the nation of Israel. So when you pick up in First Samuel, there you'll find that uh, the Lord gives us some insight there. And boy, what a blessing it is that God would let us look into the life of this family, good family. One of the principles we've learned that even good God-fearing families have problems, and this family did. But Hannah, instead of getting uh, staying bitter, uh, she let her bitterness drive her to God. And in her bitterness, she cried out to God. So whatever is eating at you, let me encourage you to take that thing to God and pour your heart out to God, whatever it is. And you'll find that he is a great source to pour your heart out to. And she did. Now, Eli is the priest. And he's thinking that she's been drinking. 
and I don't mean Pepsi. And uh, he thinks something's wrong with her. And uh, she said, no, 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 that's not what, you, you, you misread that. She said, I'm pouring my heart out and my soul out to God. And he eventually understands what's going on. And he promises her that God is going to hear her prayer. And you know what? She received that promise by faith. And she rejoiced before she had ever heard that she had conceived a child. Before she ever heard or woke up one morning with morning sickness. She believed that God was going to keep His promise. So a priest, especially the great high priest, his words were powerful. And he, God would communicate through him. They were given great privileges. The, the, the priest was. And the priesthood. Uh, in, a, in a world full of chaos, they were granted, uh, the, the Levites from Aaron on down were given such great privileges to be able to represent the God of Israel. And to be, what you might say, the mediator between God and man here on earth through their sacrifices until the Lord Jesus Christ was to come. They were, a, they were a shadow of what really is going on in heaven. They were an image of the true tabernacle that is in heaven. That's why you're not wasting your time reading through the Old Testament, especially when you start reading about the tabernacle and all the things that were in the tabernacle. The book of Hebrews says that's just a pattern and an image that Moses received on the mountain of the very things that are in heaven. Now, I don't understand that, but we get to the other side. I'll ask the Lord, let me give you a tour, and I'll explain it to you. But hey, this is what we were talking about that Sunday night, right here. But when you get to 1 Samuel, you'll find that God gives her a baby. And boy, I tell you what, what a baby. Samuel. And then she brings him back. She promised she'd give him back to God. She did. That's one thing you ought to do, is that you ought to ask God for something so that you can be a blessing to the Lord and be a blessing to others. Hannah was not a consumer. She was a producer. And because of her attitude and her spirit, God gave her more children. God gave her more than she asked for. And first look at 1 Samuel chapter number 2. What we're going to pick up here is, um, we're going to pick up here now, and I want to discuss three things tonight. I want to talk about Eli for just a little bit. I want to talk about uh, the Lord for a few minutes. Then I want to talk about you for a few minutes. Okay? And me. Now, Eli is the high priest. He is the priest here in the situ- in our story here. And uh, boy, he has uh, been given great privileges and honor and power. He's been judging Israel for about 40 years. So he's been faithful to some degree in his office. He has inherited a position of great prestige and power and responsibility. He is to reflect God. He's to be godly, merciful, compassionate, and just and faithful. So are his sons as they are part of this. And so here we see what's going on. Look with me in chapter number 2. Let's pick up in verse number 22. All right? The Bible says, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. And how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil doings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is so no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people 
to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor with the Lord and also with men. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when there were, they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Giving him a history lesson of privilege and prestige it was given and responsibility given to his forefathers. And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? Now watch carefully the, term, the terminology used here. Because this, that priest was to be God's priest. Verse 28. To offer up mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. Did I give unto him the, the house of thy father and all the offering made by the fire of the children of Israel? He said, hey, listen, I took care of you. I gave you responsibility, but I also blessed you and gave you more than enough. Verse 29. Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering. And what he's referring to is, is that when people were now coming up to bring their sacrifices, because of his boys, these are grown men. One of them I know is married, and his wife is expecting a child. These men, if you brought your offering, uh, they were supposed to uh, take the fat, and they were to burn it and give it unto the Lord. And they were to take a certain portion of that meat and keep it for themselves, and they would do the rest and give it to God. But they were taking the very best for themselves. And, and if a man said, no, wait a minute, man, you're not supposed to be doing that. And, uh, and if a man said that to him, then they had some, I guess, some bouncers around them. And they said, listen, if you don't give it to us, we're going to take it from you. We're going to take it by force. And so these guys were kind of bullies. And not only that, but also they were seducing and abusing the females that were coming also to worship the Lord. And so, and, and one of the reasons why that happens is because women seem to have a weakness. Now, this is, history bears this out. This is not my opinion about this. They seem to have a, a weakness for someone who is in a position of power, of authority, or wears uniforms, a position of power and authority. And these guys were like that. They had on their uniforms, they, they had men of position and power. And so they would, uh, they were easily moved by the words of, of these men and manipulated by the words of, of these men. And so anyway, they were actually creating chaos at the house of God and causing sin to happen at the house of God. So they were doing the very opposite of what they were called to do. Now watch. He said in verse 29, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. So these were just some men that were ungodly, sensual, over, they were, I think, overweight by what he's saying here. They were obese. Uh, they were gluttonous. Let's put it that way. They were gluttonous. They were just wicked, sensual, religious men. That's what they were. 
And so you can imagine how that would demotivate you from loading up your wagon and going down to church, wouldn't it? If that's the way it was. And so verse number 30 says, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I have, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now for sake of time, I'm just going to tell you and paraphrase the rest of this. He says, I've had it up to here with you. Up to here. He said, I'm fixing not only to judge you, but I'm fixing to cut everything off. I'm fixing, I'm going to kill your boys on the same day. I'm going to take both of them. And I'm going to take you and your descendants out of this position of prestige and power because of what you and your boys have done. It's going to impact your grandsons and your great-grandsons. And they will no longer be in this office and this, it's over for them. What you've done is uh, beyond what I will choose to forgive. And you're out of here. And so that is basically what he is telling him. He said, as a matter of fact, your great-grandsons and great-grandsons are going to beg for a piece of bread when they could have had the best here that I had to offer to them that was not mine but theirs. Now they're going to be begging for bread. Does that not seem a little bit harsh to you? Maybe. But maybe we don't understand the holiness of God. And maybe we don't appreciate great privileges and opportunities that God gives to us and how that sometimes we abuse those, especially if we misrepresent the Lord to mankind. Now we'll talk about that in just a moment. So what can we learn from this? I think that Eli, number one, can teach us some things about the nature of man and about the nature of God. That's what I want to get to tonight. I'm not trying to give you just a history lesson here. You can read this and come to some of these conclusions on your own, but I'd like to be able to help you with some spiritual principles that are out of this. These things were written for my admonition. They were written for my learning. That I, through these things, could learn and also be admonished and also be given some hope in my own Christian life today. First of all, you'll notice why God is being so severe with him. You'll notice in verse number 35, Eli became, how did, how did it get in such a bad shape? Well, it started with the fact that he became unfaithful to the Lord. Look in verse 35, and I will raise me up a faithful priest, which means that he's replacing a priest that's not faithful. Do you understand? He has become unfaithful. But here's the big thing that I really need you to get tonight. He was unfaithful to the Lord while he was loyal to his family. Now, I need you to let that sink in. I'll give you a second. Think about that. He was unfaithful to the Lord while he was loyal to his family. What's the difference? It's a major difference. Loyalty is when you will stick with a person, whether they are right or whether they are wrong. You are loyal to them and to their cause. But when you are faithful, you will stand for what's right, regardless of the people 
that you have to deal with, including your own family. Do you understand the difference there? Now, listen, I, again, please forgive me for saying this from time to time, but I've been around a little while. I've pastored for over four decades. I've dealt with a lot of people over the years. And I've seen this principle in action. I've seen people fall out of church because they were loyal to one person and their family. And they would not go against their family in order to remain faithful to the house of God. And that's exactly what he has done. Loyalty to the family. You ever heard the phrase that, that blood is thicker than water? You ever heard that? And what they mean by that, well, usually when they say that, it means that kinfolk and blood is more important to me than the baptismal waters in identifying and following and serving the Lord. Now, there shouldn't be a conflict. There shouldn't even have to be a choice made in this. Agree? But Jesus made it very clear that there may come a place at a time, there may be a person in your family circle who may be opposed to the will of God. And you may not be able to walk with them. And that's why he said, you have to love me more than you love your mother or your father or your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter. You've got to love me more. You've got to love me more. I want you to be faithful to me. What is required of a steward? That it be found faithful. That it be found faithful. And the book of Proverbs says, a faithful man who can find. Like a virtuous woman. Very few of them. How many faithful men can you find? Because many of us are, are looking to get along in order to go along in order to get along with family. We love our family. We want them in the house of God. We want them in church. We want to be able to go home and enjoy our fellowship with our family members. All of them. I certainly enjoy it. I want everybody around the table. I don't want an empty chair at the table at Christmas time or Thanksgiving or at lunchtime on Sunday. And I will do everything within my power to try to make sure that doesn't happen. But if you ask me to violate the will of God, if you ask me to violate the Word of God, I can't do that. I can't do that. And so here's what Eli did. And you say, well, how do you, how do you know he did that? Well, verse number 35 says he wasn't faithful. Look in verse number 29. He says, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest, you see that word? You honor your sons above me. Holy cow. You honor your sons above me, and you have heard what they've been up to. And not only that, but you only talk to them. You do not restrain them. In other words, he said in verse number 21, there comes a time of where that talk but no action against bad behavior is actually treason against God. This not only was he their father, he was their employer. He was their boss. He could have said, hey boys, you either straighten up or you're out of here. You cannot do this. This is dishonoring our God. But somewhere in the past, he had already become unfaithful. 
because the Lord requires... Let me show you some hard verses. Okay, you talking about some hard verses? Turn with me to Deuteronomy. Keep, turn, look at Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. And I hope and pray with all my heart that none of us, none of us in here will have to experience this. Look at Deuteronomy 21. Look with me, please, in verse number 18. Deuteronomy 21, verse number 18. I pray that none of us would have to deal with this, ever. Deuteronomy 21, verse number 18. Chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, verse number 13, God accuses. Remember when, when the Lord shows up and speaks to little Samuel about what, God, what He's going to do to, to Eli down the road? We'll read about that probably in a couple of weeks. But one of the things that God told little Samuel was, you tell him the reason why I'm doing this is because he would not restrain his sons. So think about this. Look in 1 Samuel, excuse me, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 21 verse 18. These are some very sad verses, but I need to just draw a few principles out of it. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father nor the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them. Then shall his father and mother lay hold on him, and bring him out of the elders, under the elders of the city, under the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This is our, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton. He is a drunkard. Now listen, this is not just somebody that's having some issues at home. This, somewhat, this is someone who has become a danger to others. He has become a danger to others. Not only is he disrupting the house, but if he's a glutton and a drunkard, there is no doubt he's also become predatorial. Do you know what drunkenness will do to your eyes and to your heart? It will break down your restraints of lust. It will move you to go after other people to satisfy your desires. And so this is, this is very heartbreaking and painstaking for these parents to say, man, we've done all we could, but we are aware of the danger that this boy is. And we've just got to, we've got to ask you for help. Now listen, this is Old Testament stuff where that no doubt they, they, they searched it out. They looked it out. They monitored this. They did not just make snap decisions before it was a cat. This was a capital crime, by the way. Did you know that? Did you know a capital crime is you rebelling against your mother and father? In the Old Testament, you'd be put to death. And so here he is. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. And uh, he will not respond to chastening. He will not. They've tried. Well, according to what it says about Eli, he didn't even try. You see what I'm saying? He didn't even try. These parents are trying. And what they're doing is they're appealing to a higher authority. We can't deal with him anymore. He's, a grown, he's grown here now. And there's nothing they can do to fix it. And so they're checking it out. And eventually, in this situation, appealing to a higher authority means we need you to help us because he's become a danger. Not only to himself, but to others. Now, you've got to think about that. That's, that's a, you don't want to be in that position. That's why you want to start young. While they're young, restraining them. And telling them they can't have everything they want. And they can't do whatever they want. They can't touch whoever they want to touch. They can't do and go and see and watch and whatever they want to do. It's a time of restraining and saying no. 
And it's important that you do so. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, if you had a, an oxen that was known to be pushing and, and always trying to break out of the crib and sometimes aggressive and sometimes attacking another man or going after another man, and then you find out a few weeks later he actually gored a man to death. Well, the fact that you knew about it and you didn't do anything about it, you'd be held for manslaughter. You understand? And so it is, if, if you've got a, a, a teenage boy or a girl and they're up to something that is a, basically a crime, and they are become predatorial, and, and you don't do anything about it, you don't even try to protect people from it, it upsets the Lord. And it, it puts you in a bad light with the Lord. He knows it's painful. He knows it is. But you can save yourself a lot of pain, heartache, if you'll exercise the pain while they're young and put up with their crying and their whining and them getting mad at you and saying, you don't love me. If you love me, you'd let me do this. And you just put up with that. You just say, hey, no, listen, I love you enough to not let you do that. I love you enough to not let you have that. I love you enough to not let you watch that. You understand? Oh, well, that went over good. Go back to 1 Samuel with me, please. But do you, I guess probably if there's any principle tonight that I want you to get, is be faithful to the Lord. Be loyal to your family as long as you can. But when it crosses the boundary of being unfaithful to God, don't go that route. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to God. And he was, their, he was these boys' parent. He was their, these boys' priest. He was their employer. And there come a time of when that all he did was talk to them. But he didn't do anything about it. And there comes a time of where you need to understand that um, it takes more than talk sometimes with your child. I'm talking about... I'm not talking about a 10-year-old. I'm talking about an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old. That is more than talk that's necessary. You have to do some things. So we looked at Eli, where he failed and how, why God judged him here is because that he became unfaithful, undisciplined, and uncaring. But let's talk about the Lord for just a moment. Do you agree with me that he is long-suffering, forbearing, and very patient? I think so. Forty years he let Eli in this area deal with this. And not only that, but he sent somebody to reprove him and to rebuke him. Now who's going to rebuke the high priest? I mean, who's going to go up to him and say, hey man, what are you doing? Nobody except God sent somebody by to get on to his case. And I think gave him some more time to straighten things up. But he didn't do it. So the Lord is very long-suffering and forbearing and patient with us. But the Lord is teaching us something here about Him and His nature. Chapter 2, verse 25, lets us know that while all sin is transgression of the law, all sin is not the same, nor are their consequences. I get so weary of hearing People tell me that all sin is the same. It is simply not true. It is same, the same in nature in that it is a transgression. It is the same in that you've disobeyed God. 
but the impact of certain sins, the results of certain sins, and the consequences of certain sins, they are not the same. Now the Bible says here that, he says in verse number 25 here, uh, what an outstanding statement. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the Lord, unto the voice of their father. So there are serious consequences. And you'll notice in verse number 25, it goes on to say, Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. So it looks to me like they've already crossed the line. And God, now listen carefully to me now, is not going to grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That's in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. You better be careful about thinking you're going to get right with God anytime you choose to. Because you'll find that you don't want to. What you want is to grab a hold of God when you want to get right with God. You need to take advantage of that moment. When there's a service where God is tugging at your heart, God is beginning to grant you some repentance. You better grab a hold of that rope and you better draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to you. But if you harden your heart, there comes a time of when He will harden your heart further because He's already made up His mind. He's going to give you what you want. You're not going to want what you got. You remember when Pharaoh hardened his heart? And then the Lord hardened his heart. All right, now watch what I mean by that. You'll notice over here, in verse 17, chapter 2, verse number 17, the Bible says, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great. Now, now, now Brother Zach, I, I think I understand the English language. It doesn't say, Wherefore the sin of the, of the young men was just before the Lord. Nor does it say that it was just great. It says it was very great. Great. Now, is that not degrees? I mean, on a very carnal level. I mean, I've had some chicken that was good. Fried chicken that was good. I've had some that was great. And I've had some that was very great. And I know the difference. I'm an official fried chicken tester. But on a serious note, the Lord is greatly offended, greatly offended and grieved by certain things. And He can be at moments. He is known to be slow to anger. But there are times when David had said, you know, please, you know, he was worried about God's hot displeasure. There are some things that really set him off. I mean, set him off. Do you remember when Israel was doing some things and God was fixing to kill a whole bunch? And he said, and Moses said, whoa, wait a minute, Lord, don't, don't. The Lord said, I'm going to kill a whole bunch and start over with you. I'm sick of them. And Moses said, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. Lord, if you do that. They're going to say from where we came from that you brought them out, but you couldn't bring them in. That's going to bring dishonor to your name. 
Now, I don't understand that conversation. I'm just telling you it took place. And the Lord said, you know what? You're right. I'll just kill part of them. And I'm just saying sometimes God gets very angry just like He did with Ananias and Sapphira. Brother, I'm talking about they're in there dishonoring it. And, and, the, Lord, and the Lord got angry and upset immediately and they, they died immediately in, in the presence of the Lord. I don't know where that is, where that button is, but I'm going to stay away from that button as far as I can. I know this in verse 17, that they were causing not only for people to sin, but they were causing people to uh, to abhor the offering of the Lord. So it's moving into the realm of the spiritual. It's not just the physical and the carnal, but it's moved in the realm of the spiritual where these people are beginning to not even want to go down there and offer up their offerings and they despise going down there because of this because they're thinking, well, Lord, you know, if God's like this, they're going back home scratching their heads saying, why would the Lord allow this? Why are these people like that? How many times do you hear that in our society when a preacher falls? Or if there is a lot of immorality going on in that church and that preacher and his staff and others are involved in it. What does the world say about that? Why would God let that happen? And I ain't going to church anywhere if churches are going to be like, you can't trust anybody. On and on it goes. Because there are some sins that, that just absolutely cause the world to blaspheme God. These boys were guilty of this. It's one thing for you to struggle. It's another thing for you to bring other people into your struggles and then to bring the name of the Lord into your struggles and to dishonor Him. There there is. That's a whole different ballgame. And so you see the severity of the Lord here. Is this mentioned anywhere else in the Bible? Is it a true doctrine that sometimes um, some things are worse than others and there's lines that people can cross? Yes, there is. Old Testament and New Testament, Proverbs chapter 1, makes it very clear. uh, Turn over there with me real quick and I'll read this to you. And we're almost done tonight, so be patient with me. Look in Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to give you some thoughts here. This uh, this bothers me right here because I don't want to be guilty of this. Look in Proverbs chapter number 1. Now, the verses that parallel this are in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Where that God says that the servant of the Lord must be gentle in dealing with people who are out of the will of God. And that they are to be gentle and deal with them in a spirit of meekness. Because when people get sideways with God, their minds get messed up. And you've got to be gentle with them and speak to them. And, and he said, and, and so that God may peradventure grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Peradventure means God may, God may not. God may be fed up with you and let you reap everything you've sowed and not. He said, that's what you want? You kept pushing against me. You're dishonoring me. I'll let you have it. You're not going to want what you got. Look in chapter number 1, and I'm trying to get you to understand the nature of God here. In Proverbs chapter number 1, He loves you. He cares for you. 
He intercedes for you. He will help you. That's why we are without excuse. We've got a Savior. We've got an advocate. We've got a mediator. We've got a friend. That We've got a helper. And he is, he is not going to allow us to be tempted above that which we are able to bear. He'll always provide a way to escape. And again, it's one thing, brother, for me to have a personal issue. It's another thing for me to cause this church to stumble. That's a different ballgame. Proverbs chapter number 1, look at this. Wow. The Bible says in verse 20, Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She cries in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates in the city, she utters her words, saying, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Now to the fool, wisdom has been chasing you. But you've always been able to be faster. Verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. But now notice carefully. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. You have said it not all my counsel and would not of my reproof. And I believe that's what Eli... And I believe that's what Hophni and Phinehas were guilty of. He said, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. And when your fear cometh, there's desolation, and your destruction cometh, there's whirlwind, and when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, and I will not answer. And they shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they that hated knowledge did not choose the fear of the Lord. I didn't write this. Don't you read the book of Proverbs on a regular basis? Do you not see that the Lord says, Hey, I I am patient and I'm long-suffering and I'm forbearing and I'm for you and I'm going to do everything I can to keep you out of this trap. But if you keep going in this direction, the point's going to come of where I've called unto you and I've called unto you and I've knocked on your heart's door and I've knocked on you and I've tried to help you and I've tried to reach you. And you just want to go your own direction. I'm going to let you go. You don't want God to do that. Quickly, let's go back to 1 Samuel. And let's look at this over. Let's tie this up, okay? But all is not negative here. I want you to see something here. Uh, I want you to look in 1 Samuel, uh, chapter number 2. And uh, I want you to believe the Word of God. I promise you that you do want the severity of God, to be avoided in your life. Eli's goodly heritage was despised and lost. Others later suffered from what could have been. Here's what I see, real danger. Those boys got used to being around the things of God. There's real danger there. There's a real danger. I don't know what it's like for you. I don't know what it's like for you or you. I know you're tired. I know you work hard. I know you do. I don't know what it's like to be born into a Christian family and be brought to church since you were a baby. I don't know what that's like. I don't have a clue. I don't know what it's like to be 
brought to Sunday school every service, or be around the Bible in your home, or about parents praying for you, or being under preaching all of your teenage years. I don't know what that's like. But I do know this. It's great opportunities. As long as you don't let them turn into obstacles. If you'll grab a hold of the opportunity and not begin to treat it lightly, but choose the fear of the Lord and choose to learn all you can and can all you get and obey the Lord. Brent was raised in a family that feared the Lord, taught him the Word of God. He's chosen to press on. Lauren has chosen for his good heritage. He's taken it and tried to take it to another level. That's a good thing. A lot of kids don't. Some kids do. But I promise you, I promise you that your mother and father, I know sometimes you don't feel like coming to church. And sometimes, man, it can boil to tears. I understand that because you're a young man and your mind's going in every direction. He said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> man, when I was his age, I had to sit in church. I told you before, man, I was in a little old block church of a Methodist church, and I was so bored to tears. I was counting the blocks, you know, till he got done preaching. Sideways and up, I can tell you how high and how long they were. Don't do that. <laughs> but your mom and dad love you. They don't want you to ever take that Bible and just throw it across the room. You say, you wouldn't do that, would you? No. But some kids, they don't care where their Bible's at. But they know where their phone's at. And they don't care what kind of Bible they got, but they care what kind of phone they got. Amen? And so, these boys got used to being around the things of God. Too used to it. To where they took it for granted. And they kind of took liberties that they didn't have. Now here's what happened to them. War came. These boys, their dad was back near the Ark of the Covenant praying for the battle. And a soldier showed up and said, Hey, you boys, both of them died today in battle. It broke his heart. He fell off his chair and broke his neck. He died. His boys died same day. His daughter-in-law is having a baby while all this is going on. She's travailing in labor. Out comes a baby. Midwife says, hey, man, rejoice. You got a little boy here. And she dies in childbirth. And they named the child Ichabod. The glory of the Lord is departed. So you've got a grandfather, a son, a, a, a father, a son, a daughter-in-law, an uncle. All of this happened in the same day. Then you've got a grandson named Ichabod who grows up. And somebody says, man, where did you get the word Ichabod? How did you get that name? Then he had to relive the story of how his grandfather died, his uncle died, his dad died, his mom died, all died on the same day, and the Ark of the Covenant was taken on the same day. So what does your name mean? It means the glory of the Lord has departed. It means it was a day of judgment. How would you like to have to live with that, the reproach of that? That's how severe God judged this situation. Don't ever take for granted what God's given you 
and blessed you with. Don't ever take lightly the church of God and your Bible. Verse 30, let's close with these thoughts. Verse 30, he said this, Wherefore the Lord of God of Israel said, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever, but now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor. And that's what I want you to get out of for me and you. How about us honoring the Lord? The Bible says, honor to whom honor is due. Let's honor God. Did you know the Lord promises that if you humble yourself and submit yourself to Him, that He will lift you up. That He will give you and honor you if you will subject yourself to His will. He'll lift you up. He'll honor you for honoring Him. And then, I want you to notice this. Look in verse number 27. I want to be that... Anonymous, faithful servant, the no-name guy who's willing to obey the Lord. I want to be that guy. I have to be part of the rich and famous. I don't have to be in the top ten of the soul of the Lord. Don't have to be. The Bible says in verse 27, And there came a man of God. Now here is the man who is faithful over loyalty. He went and told the high priest what God told him to tell him. Can you obey the Lord if He told you to do something? I don't mean that you go trying to straighten people out. I'm talking about you just being a nobody and a no-name, like it says over the New Testament where Paul is referring to some men that were serving with him, and he just says, and the other brother. Can you be the other brother that's got no name in the Bible? That says, yeah, I'm willing to serve, and nobody even notices who knows who I am. Can you be that guy and be faithful? Here's the last thing. You'll notice it says in chapter 2, verse 21, And the Lord visited Hannah so that, she, and so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And it says, And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Look at verse 26. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor with the Lord and also with men. I like to be somebody that just keeps on growing and keeps on going. And serving the Lord. And maybe God will let me find favor with you and with Him. But you ought to be growing and keep growing regardless of what other people are doing around you. Because Samuel saw the ugly side of the beast here. He's at the temple. He is seeing what's going on. He's hearing what's going on. He's watching these guys. But yet there was something in him that he grabbed a hold of that his mother put in him and he said, I am going to serve the Lord. I am going to stay with God regardless of what these guys are going to do. Now, do you know what happened? They fell by the wayside. They died and went to dust and God lifted Samuel up and used him for the glory of God. Everybody that's around you that has impact and influence you that's evil, they won't always be around. You serve the Lord. You choose to do what's right. God will take some of those folks out of your life in due time. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you might help our people, encourage them, and may we choose the fear of God. And may, Lord, we be found faithful, not just loyal. In Jesus' name, amen.